This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Have you ever seen a mother cry when she lost her little boy? Or a mom and dad stand broken for their son's life has been destroyed? Have you seen old age take those away who are special to our hearts? Listen then to what I say. God makes no mistakes. God makes no mistakes. He knows the path you take. He brought you this far in life's way. He'll never let you down. God makes no mistakes. How true, hard to understand. Have you cried a river full of tears with an aching, broken heart? Have you prayed and prayed, but no answer came in an hour old oh, so dark? Weeping may endure the night, but joy will come at dawn. Then, my friend, you too can say that God makes no mistake. God.
thank you. Aren't you glad that God never says, oops, messed up there. Now, we do plenty of that, but uh, thank you so much for that great reminder, guys. Well, um, this is Thanksgiving weekend. I know it's proper, and some of you expect me to speak on the topic of being thankful. In fact, there are a few of you, when I don't speak on the topic related to special, special days such as Thanksgiving, you get really frustrated with me for being a maverick and a non-traditionalist. And um, just so you know, I get frustrated with me too. So join the crowd. But you guessed it, our topic today will not be on giving thanks. However, as a good reminder for the season, let me, let me just read two verses from Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the words of Christ in all their richness, live in your hearts, make you wise, use his words to teach and counsel each other, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus, all the while giving thanks through him to God the Father. And all of the people said, And that's your Thanksgiving message for today. Now to our lesson. What started out as a standalone message a few weeks ago has kept evolving, and we've kept adding myths that our American version of Christianity has accepted. And this wasn't supposed to be a series, so we'll just call this the unseries. The first week, we looked at the myth that above all else, God always wants us happy And that is a myth, and this myth can lead us down a slippery slope where we begin to say, well, if it makes me happy, it's got to be right. If it doesn't make me happy, it has to be wrong. This is false doctrine, false theology. Nowhere do you find that in the Bible. Last week, we looked at the myth that God will never give you more than you can handle. And, And for some of you, as you listened to that lesson last week, that shook your theological foundation. And that common concept is wrongly taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, a scripture that refers to temptation. And, and, and God says that he won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. But it's not saying that God will never give you more than what you can handle in your own strength. He will give you more than you can handle in your own strength. Why? To help you to depend upon him. If you could handle everything on your own strength, you would need Jesus in your life. So he lets you go through more than what you can handle because then he loves to step in and says, here I am, I'm going to help carry your burden. That brings us up to another dangerous myth today. And that is, it doesn't matter what you do as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. Now... This lesson is a bit heavy, and so let's start off with, start off with something on the lighter side, and, and this will actually help get us pointed in, in the right direction, so it's not just a waste of time, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen carefully to the instructions, okay? And I need everybody to participate, um, because it's no fun if you just sit there with a scowl on your face, okay? So I need everybody participating. I want you to look in front of you, and for some of you on the front rows, you're just going to look at me, okay? Everybody look to the people in front of you, okay, that are in front of you. Now, I want you to look to the people to the left of you. Some of you there, while you just looking at the wall there. Um, 
Look around. Look at the people that are to the left of you. Now I want you to look to the people to the right of you. And then I'm going to give you permission to look to the people behind you. And that's why we have a, a, a screen there because some of you are turned around half the time anyway. But look to the people to, to the back of you. And then I need you to, uh, to turn up front again. Um, here's what I want you to do. On the count of three, and that goes one, two, three, okay? So on the count of three, I want you to point to the person that looks like the biggest sinner. Okay? Yeah, that's right. I'm going to count to three. And then I want you, everybody participating, no fuddy duds here this morning aloud, okay? One, two, three, point. Not fair. Some of you pointed at me. <sighs> now, hopefully you were joking, even though I have a feeling that some of you weren't, but but now I want to ask you, and don't answer out loud because this is a bit of a trick question. When it comes to sin, is all sin the same? Don't answer out loud because it, it, it's a trick question. Um, we supposedly identified the biggest sinner around us, but what's the criteria? that we use to determine the biggest sinner. Are there certain sins that are worse than others? Are, are there certain sins that are better than others? And, and again, trick question, but, but our society says, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. I sin, you sin, we all sin, sin is sin, so don't judge me. I won't judge you. As long as we're not hurting anyone, then it's all good. Is that biblical? Well, we're going to talk about that this morning. I think we better pray again. You think so? I got my feelings hurt a little bit. You pointed at me as the biggest sinner, so I'm going to have to get over that. No, seriously, let's just pray. Father, I just ask that today our hearts would be turned towards you. Lord, as we discuss a topic that's a little bit heavy we talk about sin, human behavior. I just pray that you would help us to understand your word and that, God, it wouldn't just be a bunch of words from me, but it would be your word. And I just pray for your help today in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to take a moment and reflect a little bit on human behavior. And I want us to think back to the time that Jesus lived what do you think was the biggest cultural value that determined behavior during the time of Christ? And, and I, I, I don't know. My, uh, I, I think I could make a, a, a fairly strong argument, but I think that maybe the biggest cultural value that determined behavior during the time of Christ was the concept of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Um, you know, it, it was ingrained into that society that if you did something wrong, then the proper punishment could be, and it wasn't always enforced. Don't think that that always happened, but it could be enforced that the perpetrator could, uh, 
you know, for the perpetrator could result in consequences at the same level as whatever wrong they had inflicted on the other person. It was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And that obviously did not put a complete stop to crime, but it was a pretty serious deterrent and certainly helped govern human behavior. Okay, then how about today? What is the biggest cultural value that shapes behavior in our country today? And Well, you could probably make an argument that it might be the matter of tolerance. You know, tolerance is the buzzword that we hear continually in the news today. Tolerance. Now, let me point out that the definition of tolerance has evolved over the past 20 years or so. Tolerance used to mean that all people had equal value. That used to be tolerance. And I fully endorse that type of tolerance. Red and yellow, black and white, they are what? They're precious in his sight. I don't believe that there is a country. I don't believe that there is a race. I don't believe that there is a socioeconomic group that God prefers over another. All people have equal value to him. God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus to die for the entire world. Racism, feelings of superiority because of skin color, because of financial position, should never, ever be found in a child of God. And the people said, so tolerance used to mean all people had equal value, and I believe that's supported by God's Word. But today, tolerance has evolved, and and now tolerance has evolved to mean that all ideas and all behavior have equal value. Which means that it's now pretty much unacceptable to ever label any type of behavior as wrong or sinful, even if it means accepting a new definition of sin, or a new definition of behavior, or even redefining marriage. That's what the word tolerance has come to mean as the, what you hear, the new normal in our culture. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone, then tolerance basically allows us to do whatever we want. Well, let's look at three of today's common cultural values and see if they line up to what God's Word says. First of all, we see that that our society is promoting the fact that I am not a bad person. You know, since there's a push to accept all ideas and behaviors as being good, as long as no one is hurt, then we feel that everyone is good and no one is a bad person. And we commonly hear this at funerals. You know, this deceased may have been a real rascal, may have been wicked, immoral, had a foul, ma- foul mouth, but we say, so-and-so, you know, they had a good heart. Well, Matthew 15 says that out of the heart come evil things. So if they had a foul, foul mouth, that's a reflection of the heart. If they were involved in a sin, that is a reflection of the heart, regardless if the minister says, well, so-and-so had a good heart. So let me just establish the fact Today, you're a bad person, and I am too. Go ahead and say amen there. (laughs) Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Don't ever pat yourself on the back and think you're good. John 1.8 says that if we claim to be without sin, or in other words, if we say we're not a bad person, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. Now, granted, if we compare ourselves to other people, because we can always find someone worse than we are. And you might be sitting beside them or attending church with one of those right now. Don't point at them. Remember that other people are not the standard of measurement. 
The standard of measurement is a perfect God, a holy God. And in light of this perfect and holy God, we're all horrible, filthy, dirty, rotten, good-for-nothing sinners. Welcome to the Church of God Holiness where we preach a feel-good gospel and always make everyone feel good about themselves. The second thing that our society is promoting is this, and, and this is very dangerous. All sin is the same. Now, we're going to spend quite a bit of time here, and, and I need you to track with me on this one, or you're going to be misunderstand me. You're going to leave saying, I disagree with our pastor. So, so pay close attention, and I think you will agree if you'll pay close attention. You hear all the time people who are involved in, in a sin saying, well, who are you to judge me? What I'm doing is no worse than what you're doing. Yeah, I may be in dr- involved in drugs or immorality, but you've got a problem with judging people. And so you just need to shut your mouth, quit judging me, because you're just as bad as I am. Now, again, listen carefully. In one sense, this is true. All unforgiven sin, big sin, little sin, leads to eternal death period. Amen? You got that? All unforgiven sin, big, little, leads to eternal death. The wages of sin is death. So in that aspect, all sin is the same. We still on the same page? But in another sense, not all sin is equal. Yes, all unforgiven sin leads to eternal death. But the Bible makes reference to the fact that different sins have greater consequences. And so let me quickly tell you three things the Bible says here. First of all, the level of our sin affects our consequences on earth. Let me try to illustrate it this way. If if as pastor of this church... And the Sunday after Thanksgiving is probably not a good time to be talking about this. But let's just say that I would stand before you this morning and say, Church, I have a confession to make to you. I was involved in, 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 a very, in some very regrettable behavior this past week. In fact, it was more than regrettable behavior. It was sin. And I've asked God to forgive me of my sin, but I also feel the need to come before you and publicly confess my sin and ask you to forgive me. And, and let's say that I would go ahead and confess that sin to you. I would confess the sin of gluttony. We're going to go there, Dick. Sorry. Which the Bible does refer to gluttony as sin. Matthew 11 puts it in the Scripture you know, as, you know, kind of being a drunkard in that, in that, in that same category there. And, and by the way, someone said Thanksgiving is the one occasion each year where gluttony becomes our patriotic duty. <laughs> How many of you were good patriots this past week? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that's biblical, but probably the sin of gluttony is very prevalent during Thanksgiving. Now, I don't know how you would react if I confessed to you the sin of gluttony. But I have a feeling that even though you might expect a higher standard out of me as your pastor, I have a feeling that most of you would probably be somewhat willing to show me a little mercy. Maybe not all of you. Some of you might take this opportunity to make an example out of me. Um, But I think that most of you, I think that you would probably graciously forgive me for committing the sin of gluttony. 
perhaps because many of you were guilty of the same sin this past week. And I thought about asking for a show of hands of you that committed the sin of gluttony, but I, I figured that some of you wouldn't admit it. And then, so then on top of the sin of gluttony, you would have the sin of lying. And so I didn't want to cause you to be guilty uh, of, of two sins. Now, are you tracking with me? You still with me here? On the other hand, let's say that my sin is not the sin of gluttony. Let's pretend. Okay, if you're hard of hearing, pretend, okay? Let's, if you're naive, pretend, okay? This is a pretend scenario, okay? Understand the word pretend. But let's pretend that if in my small group this next Wednesday evening, maybe because we're nearing the end of our life group trimester, that I would say, class, we're going to celebrate the good trimester we've had together, so I've got a treat for you today. I've taken money from the general fund of the church and was able to find some marijuana. <laughs> Remember the word pretend, okay? Since marijuana is now legal for medical purposes, I, maybe I would try to justify and say, you know, we're all stressed and we all live with some type of pain, whether it's back pain, joint pain, or whatever. And so I would justify it and say, we all need some marijuana to medically relieve our pain. But that's not all, class. I, I would continue on and say, and remember, pretend. Because I really wanted this class to be extra special. I also took money from church funds, went to the liquor store, and bought a bunch of alcohol, some beer, wine, and whiskey. Pretend. So I tell them that this class is going to be memorable. You know, there's plenty of marijuana, alcohol for everyone. And even though we've never done it this way before, the famous last words of a church. Uh, but I tell them that we're all going to get in a circle. First of all, we're going to smoke some joints together. And I mean, the class that smokes together stays together. Is that, I don't know, that, that doesn't sound right, does it? And then we're going to break out the alcohol and drink until we can't drink anymore. We're going to get totally smashed. And then, then I tell them at eight o'clock sharp, we're going to wrap up our class on a very worshipful note, join hands and sing Kumbaya. So again, a pretend scenario, but what would happen if I did that? Well, first of all, as word got out into the community that I'd given out free marijuana and alcohol, knowing this community, my class would be so big the following week, <laughs> there wouldn't be a building big enough in the three-county area to accommodate all of those who would line up early to become part of my class. But the second thing that would happen is that before the clock would strike midnight that very same night, I would be relieved of my duties as pastor. Now, if I lived in Colorado, maybe I could get by with it. They've got different rules there. But here in the buckle of the Bible Belt and in our conservative church tradition, there is no way in the world that I would keep my position as a joint-smoking, whiskey-guzzling pastor. Now, I talked about two sins. Gluttony, drunkenness. And they're both clearly identified in the Bible as sin. But I think you might let me pastor the church, you know, occasionally committing the sin of gluttony. At least you've done so for the last 25 years. Thank you. But I don't think you would let me pastor the church, bringing marijuana and alcohol into the church and drinking until we all got you know, whatever you call it, souse, smashed, hammered, snookered, whatever. So do you see that there are different earthly consequences for different sins? 
The sin of gluttony, your reaction would probably be, oh, shame on you, pastor. But, but just between you and me, I committed the same sin of gluttony this past Thursday as well. The sin of drunkenness, it's been nice knowing you, pastor. See you. Secondly, the level of our sinful behavior also influences our rewards in heaven. It does appear in Scripture that there will be different levels of rewards in heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my, for my sake. Here it is, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So when we're persecuted for Christ, it appears that God notices and, and He increases our rewards in heaven. And, and, and my personal opinion is that those of us with upfront ministries will not receive the greatest reward. I think that sometimes we look at a great evangelist or a great church leader, great pastor, and we'll say, oh, you know, that person is going to have incredible, great rewards in heaven. But I'm not so sure. I wonder if when we get to heaven that after a thousand years or maybe a million years, we will take a stroll down the streets of gold and all of a sudden notice some nice mansions that are especially elaborate. And we will say, wow, God, who lives there? Who got those mansions? They must have been a great church leader. And I wonder if God won't say, Joe, follow me. And he will lead me to the front door and introduce me to a person that the world never heard of. Not a great preacher, not a great evangelist, not an upfront person. But God will say, Joe, this person here served me behind the scenes. No, the world never heard of them, but they prayed. They gave sacrificially. They served tirelessly. They never complained. They never demanded their rights. And God will say their reward was great. One more thing. On a serious note, I believe that Scripture heavily implies us implies that our behavior or the level of our sin will influence our punishment in hell. Let me show you a couple of different verses here, and here it's talking about people that will have greater punishment than others. Listen to those it mentions in Luke chapter 20, verse 46. Beware of these teachers of religious law, for they love to parade in flowing robes and to have everyone bow to them as they walk in the marketplaces, and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and at banquets, but they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then to cover up uh, and to cover up the kind of people they really are, they make long prayers in public because of this, their punishment will be greater. So this is talking about hypocrites, people putting on a show in public. It talks about people taking advantage of widows. These people will have a greater punishment. Here's another scary verse in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So, so those who cause little children to sin, and, and you know, I was thinking about this this past week, that that, that that category is so broad, it could extend to parents who love their children, but they're not spiritual leaders. They don't point them to Jesus. Those who cause little children to sin, it says it would be better for them to have a large millstone rock hung around the neck and to be thrown into the depths of the sea and drown. 
So yes, all unforgiven sin will be punished in hell, but different sins carry more severe consequences. So, misperception number one, I'm not a bad person. Yes, you are, and I am too. Number two, all sin is the same. Eh, In a sense, yes, but in a sense, no. The third big cultural lie that so many people believe is since I've already done it, I might as well keep on doing it. And probably the most common example here would be those who are living together. They're not married. It's easy for them to think, you know, since we've messed up, we might as well continue living together. There's nothing that can be done about it now. And and, and I say this so kindly. Yes, there is. You know, you can separate. You can get married. And there are plenty of other examples I could give. The Apostle Paul dealt with this matter in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He said, shall we keep on sinning? So that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Or here's another way. If God is going to forgive me anyway, why should I even stop? But Paul says, since we've died to sin, how can we live in it? Why why would we continue to go back to that which hurts the heart of God and hurts our own lives and has the potential to hurt many lives around us? Shall we keep on sinning because God's going to forgive us anyway? Of course not. God has something so much better for you, and that is a life of holiness. That is a spirit-filled life where we fully obey God. You know, being around the church for a long time, and I've, I've talked about this before. I was raised in the church. I was born into the church, and I had to be born again, but I know what it is to be in church, and I, I, I've seen it all, and I've seen hypocrisy. You think you've seen hypocrisy? I've seen more, and I've seen all kinds of stuff, but I've learned some of the common criticisms against churches, and and one of them is this. I just wish we could go a lot deeper in the Word, and sometimes it's directed towards a Sunday school teacher. Many times it's directed to the pastor, and, you know, pastor, can't you give us more substance? And You're just giving us fluff. We want some deep stuff, some meat, and not just milk, And, 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 you know, they say churches, and you know, it's just too shallow. And, and, and I'll admit that churches, including ours, at times are too shallow. But we need to be reminded that spiritual maturity is not about how much we know. It's about how much we obey. Spiritual maturity isn't just about having more knowledge, but it's about having more fruit. That the greatest need that most of us have is not just to know more, but it's to obey more. We need to obey what we already know. You know, it's a tragedy today that how many people who call themselves Christians consistently walk back over the same sins over and over and rationalize it and justify it and say it's not that big of a deal. Besides, who are you to judge me anyway? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. Since we died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? You know, this past week I prayed that the Holy Spirit would convict all of us, including me, and in a loving way. I prayed that we would understand that sin is progressive. We cheat one time, we want to cheat more. We we look at pornography, and guess what happens? We do it again. We lie a little bit, suddenly we start to lie more and feel less guilt, and sin will take us, as you've heard, farther than we want to go. It will cost us far more than we want to pay. It will keep us longer than we want to stay. 
and, and for those people that are saying, wait, my sin right now is no big deal. All sin is a big deal. And because it is progressive, it will become even a bigger deal. And, and how will sin affect you? Well, you'll eat, lose intimacy with God. And, and you will no longer be as sensitive to His voice as you once were. And, and, and when your heart, when my heart starts to harden, this is where it gets so dangerous. Suddenly the distance between sinning and repentance grows. Hear me out. For, for a person who is following after God, there is a short distance between, oh, I sinned, I'm sorry, Lord, I repent. Short distance. You know, for a follower of Jesus, there will be those times when we may stumble, we may fall, but we are quick to repent and say, I'm sorry, Jesus. But for those who are backing away, drifting away from God, the distance becomes much greater. You sin, and then the distance is greater of, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Now, the last thing I want to do is stand up here and act like I've got it all together. In fact, can I just share something with you? And you may be disappointed in me, but I'm a very messed up and flawed human being as well. And the closer I get to Jesus, the more he reveals to me the impurities that he wants to cleanse out of my life. And, and I think you will find the same thing. I think you will find that the closer you get to Jesus and the closer you get to the light, the more you will recognize any darkness that might be in your life. And, and you will see that sin grows best in the dark. And when you confess it and bring it to the light, then Jesus Christ sets you free. You are no longer a slave. So maybe today... From your pastor to the people that are on the back row, as God leads to us, maybe we need to step out of sin and step into Jesus. We need to step out of bondage and into His grace. Should we keep sinning so that God's grace will abound? Oh no, God forbid. You know, 1 John 1.8 says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. But the next verse is so amazing. It, it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Amen. And what else will he do? He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how good Jesus is. He is the way out of sin. So uh, this morning, no big fanfare. You know, we always love it when people feel comfortable to, to come, but maybe we just need a little bit of privacy today, just right where you're seated. Maybe if there's sin in your life, this would be a time to just confess. Repent, turn from your sin. Say, God, with your help, I'm going to be victorious. Can we do that? Bow your heads, please. Lord, again, we thank you for your word. I pray that, Father, I pray that today we would uh, not be sucked into this American myth that it doesn't matter what I do, you know, tolerance that all ideas and all behaviors are acceptable. Lord, that's false. That's a myth. That's false doctrine. It does matter what we do. Your word tells us what is right, what is wrong. 
Lord, thank you that your word is not just a, a, a list of rules, do's and don'ts. And sometimes we've reduced the Bible to thou shalt and thou shalt not. And, and God, we get so burdened down with legalism. But Lord, we thank you that, yes, in the guidelines that you give us, there is the matter of grace and there's a matter of love. And you, you love to come in and forgive us. And Lord, uh, there in the Garden of Eden, you gave one rule don't eat of the tree because Lord other rules weren't necessary at that time because the relationship with you would govern behavior they broke the one rule that led us down the slope of more and more and more rules and Ten Commandments and then the Jewish people took that and expanded it to over 600 commandments and and God, it's still going on. Churches have manuals that are as thick as a Bible today with thou shalt, thou shalt not. And Father, I pray that we would not base our relationship with you on a bunch of rules, but we would base our relationship with you on the fact that we're following, walking in the light as you give us the light. And Lord, there is that fellowship with you day by day by day. And so Lord, I just pray that you would help us as we leave this place. And again, if there's been sin in our lives, we confess that to you right now. We ask you to cleanse us and give us victory. And Father, I pray that as we move forward in life, that we would follow you, obey you. And Lord, that we would obey the truth that we know. And yes, we should keep digging in your word to learn more. But Father, that we would be obedient to the truth that we already know. Lord, for what you do for us, we will thank you. We will praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Thanks for sticking around. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.